Hello and welcome back to the UEA Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, my name is Rich and I'm one of the wellbeing trainers here at UEA and this episode we're joined by uh, Rach. Hello Rach, how are you? I'm alright, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And we're joined by Emma, one of our disability advisors. Emma, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Hi. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself before we kind of start? Who, me? Uh, yeah, I'm Emma. I'm one of the wellbeing disability advisors in student services. Um, and I've been here for a billion years. Um, I don't know what else there is to say. Um, yeah, I'm a disability advisor. Awesome. Thanks, Emma. Um, so this week is Neurodiversity Celebration Week, um, a week during which the many advantages of perceiving and interacting with the world differently are acknowledged and celebrated while also reducing the stigma, myths and misconceptions associated with any of the conditions or learning differences that come under the umbrella of neurodiversity. So Emma, we're absolutely thrilled that you're here to talk to us about it. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. So before we sort of kick off um, into chatting about all things neurodiverse, and um, we like to start each podcast episode by sharing um, it's the little things. So little wins um, for the week or in the last few days. And we're looking for the tiny things because these are often the things um, that can make the biggest difference. So, Emma, what's your little things for this week? Well, it's not even a little thing. It's an epic thing. Um, I managed to get my kids dressed, fed, brushed, out of the door with all the bags, all the things to school on time, which is a miracle. And I didn't forget anything. So that's a big win for me because remembering all the different things and all the different steps can be really difficult. So I was like, get in. <laughs> I won. I was winning at mumhood this morning. You've won at life. Amazing. That's my epic win for today. <laughs> What yeah, a good nice. start to the day. How yeah. about you, Rich? Have you got anything? Uh, do you know what? I mean, not so much today. It's a bit uh, a bit gloomy outside today. But I think a bit of sunshine over the weekend was uh, very, very enjoyable. I know I always talk about getting outside. But, um, yeah, getting out, sitting in the garden for a bit. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, what's this? I'd forgotten what this is like. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed that. How about you? Um. So, because obviously we've got payday yesterday and I decided to treat myself to some new tea <laughs> which whoa <laughs> we, so wild. we are going for little things okay people this is definitely <laughs> that um so I just thought I'll treat myself to some like really nice tea so I got some peppermint licorice and ginger and then some other tea that's called chocolate digestive tea Ooh. um yeah I know we thought it was a little thing and then she went and she went and said that uh so no I'm very very excited it's going to come in the next few days and it also means I get post which is my one of my favorite things in the entire world as well so it's a double win for me sounds awesome nice I'm not sure about chocolate digestive tea but to each their own I guess um, I will let you know yeah no I hope you like it um, so, like I said, um, in this episode, we're going to be discussing Neurodiversity Celebration Week. Um, so, Emma, I guess to kind of kick us off, what does it mean to be neurodiverse? It's kind of a word that we hear kind of used a lot more commonly, I think, recently. So what does that really mean? Um, well, I think it's an interesting one because I know, you know, as we know, language and words change as they're used. So 
at one point being, uh, you know, for some people, sorry, neurodiversity um, kind of looks at, you know, the differences between a neurotypical brain, so a normal brain, whatever that is, and a brain that maybe uses different parts uh, in a slightly different way. So it, um, I'm just trying to think of examples. So a neurodiverse brain is one where the brain function or behavioural traits are slightly different than a neurotypical person. So that's kind of very much looking at neurodiversity as difference. Another way of looking at it is actually all brains work in slightly different ways and neurodiversity is about embracing how all of our brains work in different ways using different strategies um, and it's a, a positive thing kind of bringing together lots of different ways of approaching tasks in the world um, for a, a, a diverse um, result I guess that sounds a bit waffly doesn't it um, so yeah so basically it's it it can be used to kind of describe certain diagnoses so dyslexia dyspraxia um, ASD, ADHD. Um, so people may identify as being neurodiverse because they have those diagnoses. Um, and I think one of the key things, I guess, to think about when we're thinking about neurodiversity is recognising how many people are neurodiverse um, and to celebrate it, normalise it, but also at the same time, not to forget that there are actually real challenges with being neurodiverse um, and to not um, kind of dilute or lose some of the awareness of what the challenges can be. So, um, so I think in some kind of, uh, in some neurodiverse groups, it's very much about normalizing the experience. It's a universal experience. And for some other people it's, hold on a minute, but actually my neurodiversity, my uh, diagnosis has a massive impact on my life that makes certain things much more challenging than somebody else and I want that to be recognised. So I think it's about getting that balance um, between those two things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a really, really lovely way to describe that actually. And I really like that point you made near the start of just, you know, what is normal? Like, you know, like you say, everyone's brain does work a little bit differently, but yeah, really, really nice way of describing that two sides of it as well. I think yeah and I think it's interesting about the yeah what yeah what is a neurotypical brain like um I think you know back you know 100 years ago or whatever you know 50 years ago there was this is how this is how the brain functions this is how we learn and then there's this group of people that don't behave in that way and that's that's weird um and let's put people in little groups and give them a label so it was kind of like the standard like normal and then other which might have been dyslexia, ASD, ADHD um, and so it was, and it was very much looked at from a deficit point of view so um, what you what we're aiming for is to be neurotypical um, and these 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 groups of people have a deficit in whatever in being neurotypical that's that's not where we are now where we are now is I think two things seeing that actually every individual person's brain works in a completely individualized way. So you may have somebody who doesn't have a diagnosis of a specific learning difference, but they share a lot of traits. So I meet lots of students who have some ADHD traits, some ASD traits, some dyspraxic traits, but they don't necessarily have a diagnosis um, because they don't meet a certain threshold to tick the boxes to get that kind of label, if you know what I mean. 
but that doesn't mean that, that what they experience in the world isn't also neurodiverse. So, um, so it, I guess it's like, in some ways, forget about the label and embrace how your brain works. And the more we can think about our preferences, our strengths, what we what we enjoy, how we like to learn, and fully embrace that, the better. Um, that said, sometimes having a label is really useful. Um, and, you know, we might want to talk about that. So that some, you know, some people will end up having, you know, enough shared traits that kind of tick the box of a particular diagnosis. So um, I've got enough boxes ticked in the dyslexia area to, so I get a diagnosis, which is cool because then I get to wave my, I've got dyslexia flag and, and get cool stuff. Um, so I've kind of lost the plot of where I'm going with that. But anyway, yeah. What am I saying? I don't know. <laughs> no, do you, know, do you know what? I know you feel like you're waffling a little bit, but there are some really, really beautiful points in there. And I really like that part where you said about, you know, it's not just looking at it from a place of, um, oh, I forgot the word that you used, um, a deficit point. Deficit, of view. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, looking at, like you say, how everyone's brain works a little bit differently and focusing on some of the positive aspects of that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, I think, where I was going and I lost my thread <laughs> on the way, um, which is a product of potentially of my neurodiversity, which is fine. Um, yeah. So I think where we're at now. Um, sorry, there's a dog barking next door. He, he, he may join us for a while. We'll see. Um, okay. Is that there are real advantages. You know, yes, there are challenges, um, but there are real advantages in neurodiversity um, and we already are benefiting from them. So it's, yeah, how do we how do we raise that up? How do we reinforce that and change the narrative? Amazing. Thank you. Um, really nice sort of thoughtful answer there, Emma. Uh, if you're if you're happy to, um, can you sort of reflect on your you mentioned about being neurodiverse yourself? Can you reflect on some of your own experiences around that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I now at the age of 43 have a dyslexia diagnosis. Um, so, and what I wasn't aware of for, for a long time is that the, well, there are so many different ways that someone can have dyslexia. So my phonological awareness, so my, uh, you know, awareness of like uh, sounds and, and, and reading and breaking down words, that's fine. Um, I can read information relatively easily. M my area of difficulty is around short-term memory and memory recall. So I can read stuff. Just can't remember what I read three seconds later and stuff I might have read in the past can't remember so that's my area so on my uh, when I have my dyslexia um, diagnosis my kind of verbal reasoning skills are right at the top and my working memory is right you know very far down um, and a dyslexia diagnosis is given when there's a large disparity between different skill areas so I'm great at talking about stuff but then I just can't remember things um, so yeah, so I've spent my entire life thinking, you're a bit thick, aren't you, Emma? Um, and one minute thinking, I feel like I'm kind of quite smart, but I can't remember anything. And I feel like, you know, I've managed to read that stuff. Why can't remember? Why can't I remember what I just read? Or I've got loads and loads of ideas to put into my essay. Why can't I figure out how to organise them? Mm. So along the way, I've had, I had a dyslexia kind of you know some issues with spelling came up in school but I didn't meet a threshold for um, uh, a diagnosis at that at that stage because it wasn't obvious because I didn't have particular issues with reading 
And then at university, I was really struggling. This is like 100 years ago when I was at university. Um, and again, I didn't meet uh, the threshold because it looked like I was, um, at the time I was reading stuff, you know, it seemed like I could process stuff well enough. Um, and it wasn't until um, actually my son started having difficulties at school, I thought, right, okay, if I can get a diagnosis of something, that's going to help him. It's going to push my son's school to help him. So I um, I saw an educational psychologist and I um, asked them to look at dyslexia, ADHD and uh, dyspraxia. And they did a very detailed um, assessment. And yeah, and it came out that it was it was my working memory, which completely explains what happens, how I experience things. And it was just, it was wonderful. And I drove home from this assessment and I felt completely high, like on a high, like someone's shown me, someone's proved to me that I'm not stupid, um, that this is just how my brain works. And it just made absolute sense. Um, and then I had a massive crash afterwards, you know, you know, after the high comes the low, um, which I often experience, you know, I often hear students experience because I talk to a lot of students after they've had a diagnosis. So there might be that initial high of, I get it, I get it, that makes sense now and it's great. And then the, whoa, what does this mean? Um, and kind of it looking back over past experiences and, and things like that. So it was kind of like a big deal. And and weird that I, you know, I was a disability advisor for many years and still didn't really have a diagnosis myself. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of been my experience. But um, yeah, so now I've got a diagnosis. I'm constantly banging on about it. It's like my favourite subject to talk about. Um, yeah, so it's a good been a job. Bit... We invited you on for this pod, Ben, isn't it? Oh, I know. Well, I heard about it. I'm like, get me on there. Um, so, yeah, so I feel really passionately about that. And um, and I think, yeah, my experience that a lot of people, you know, that resonates with um, and yeah yeah so that's kind of where I'm where I'm coming from brilliant no thank you and thanks for your for your openness there it's really interesting to hear that sort of journey from kind of knowing something didn't feel quite right or sit right and almost being in that place of sort of self-blame to actually getting that label and diagnosis and then sort of processing that as well so thank you yeah and I think probably something to mention in all of that is what the impact of being neurodiverse can have on you know on confidence on on well-being all of those things so um as a disability advisor I speak to a lot of students who will you know come and see me feeling quite bad about themselves you know like I I'm clearly not working hard enough why can't I concentrate why do I you know I clearly shouldn't be here a lot of the kind of negative self-talk um and just exploring where there is a whether there is a learning difference going on can be really such a positive boost um because then it gives someone the permission to do things in their way um, and not only that it gives them a legal entitlement to do things in their way under the equalities act which is always cool so yeah yeah thanks emma and i guess that that kind of really leads on to to kind of the next thing i want to ask and you've already sort of started to describe this in terms of some of those kind of feelings for people especially maybe near the start of their journey in terms of recognizing that neurodiversity like you know with a lot of students that you support what kind of impacts I guess for better or for worse do you kind of see on the students that you're kind of supporting 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've wrote down some notes because I thought oh, I'm going to forget this. Um, so I would say one of the key things like uh, for one of my, you know, my ADHD students, obviously every single person is different, but there are there can be themes. So one of the real advantages, I would say, to having an ADHD diagnosis. So that's, you know, um, issues with attention, organisation, um, sometimes motivation um, is the level of energy and commitment someone with ADHD can put to something they're interested in is amazing. Um, if there's that drive, that passion, that interest, the 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 level of kind of power that can be put, put behind a project or an idea is amazing. Um, and also, um, often the ADHD brain can do um, is kind of the dreaming brain, is the daydreaming brain, and we know that. The thing that computers can't do that human beings can is co is to go into that daydream space. And actually, some of the biggest ideas are when people go into that daydreaming state where things link together in a non-linear fashion, and that's where new creative ideas come out. So there's there's lots of, uh, there's lots of um, sort of career articles and things about trying to harness that power, particularly of people with ADHD who will kind of sometimes it's perceived as negative like oh you're getting distracted or you're daydreaming or whatever actually what you might be doing is drawing together all sorts of things and then coming out as, with an amazing idea that nobody's thought of before so i would say that kind of that non-linear thinking creative um, daydreaming can be a, a real advantage uh, for someone with adhd unfortunately the flip side sometimes is Whilst you're doing that, you forget to do boring stuff like do your laundry and do do the essay for the particular module that isn't as interesting as the other one. Um, and I think a lot of students um, with ADHD kind of feel like other people think they're lazy. Um, and actually, they're really not. It's actually the ADHD brain needs more stimulus to take action. It just needs that's why uh, a little bit of pressure is good. A bit of excitement's good. Having a passion for something is good, because the ADHD brain brain needs that. Um, so you often see um, people performing really well in crisis situations um, because of the that, that there's a there's more input. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of some of my thoughts on um, ADHD. Obviously, it's different for every person. Um, lots of students I work with with um, ASD particularly their ability to drill down into the detail is fantastic. Like particularly academically, they're, if they're interested in something, their ability to focus in on the detail, to drill down, to become specialists in an area that they're interested in, to, um, to do something incredibly thoroughly means they can produce fantastic pieces of work. Um, and they can, you know, look at things from a, from lots of different perspectives um, that might be different to a neurotypical person's. Um, the flip side can be that, from particularly, you know, sensory issues are often in, um, can be a problematic for students with um, ASD. Um, so some some people, my students with ASD, just kind of describe as like life. It's like life without any filters on. So all the information is coming at them. So lights are bright, sounds are really loud, textures are very, um, can be quite intense. Um, so there's all of those sensory issues going on 
and all of the kind of the, some of the social challenges that may be going on. Um, so for some students, it can just feel really overwhelming sometimes because they're like, you know, absorbing lots, lots of more information than maybe a neurotypical person would who kind of their brain sort of switches off recognizing or noticing certain things where an ASD brain is switched on absorbing everything all the time which is amazing because it means they can absorb and notice things that other people won't notice but also it's really tiring um so yeah it's there are there are I guess yeah pros and cons um and I mean as a dyslexic person uh, myself I'd say um yeah kind of um that non-linear thinking and using different parts of the brain um, might result in something different. So I'm completely rubbish at rem remembering facts, but I remember how I feel. So um, I have connections with a particular student I met at some point in the past and how I felt about our interaction helps me remember a particular piece of information. So um, I guess, yeah, some dyslexic students will be yeah, non-linear thinkers. They might use different areas to recall information or they might look at things in a different way. So that can be really positive. Um, but if they're anything like me, constantly can't remember where your wallet is, don't know where your keys are, um, can't multitask, um, all of that kind of stuff. So there are, like anything in life, there are pros and, and cons and it's just, managing some of the challenges and celebrating all the cool stuff basically i must admit like as i'm talking i'm feeling so so aware that i'm not i am not trying to like define and represent people because everybody is so individual like you know like um one one person i've got you know one of my friends is dyslexic and their challenges are completely different to mine 100 percent, isn't it like yeah. like you said it's you know it's such a broad subject and like you say everyone's brain does work differently so obviously you know we're asking you to to, to kind of describe all of neurodiversity which is obviously impossible but it is <laughs> it is really interesting to to listen to this level of detail so so thanks so much um and um cheers i mean you've kind of um pulled up on a bit of this as we've been talking but i think it's quite an important um area to just kind of focus on for a moment what what do you think um are some of the biggest misconceptions around neurodiversity yeah well the yeah the students with adhd are lazy um that's that's a big one um and um the students with AD, um, um, asd um don't have empathy which is a load of rubbish as well um i think I, I, that maybe some students with um dyslexia particularly those who maybe struggle with, um, you know, getting ideas down on paper and writing, you know, that, that they're not capable of doing ac academic study. Um, so those things, those are big ones and they're absolute rubbish. Um, I don't know if you need me to break down as to why they're absolute rubbish, I'm very happy to. Um, but we, I, I think what I hear students coming to me saying that that's how they feel other people perceive them. Um, and and I think it's a combination of things of, I think things are changing. I think people's attitudes are changing as they are educated. Um, and, you know, that's students, that's staff, that's, you know, every, you know, as a society, we're becoming more aware um, and kind of challenging those, um, those kind of ways of thinking. Um, but, you know, we've got a long way to go. Um, 
which is yes. why I constantly bang on about being neurodiverse and um like maybe I'm well positioned as it because I'm a disability advisor I feel like I can talk about it but literally in every meeting whoever I'm speaking to and how like senior they are I always try and mention something about neurodiverse because I, w I want it to be normalized it's like this is what people this is who we are we're humans and we all have different stuff and I want to keep mentioning it no thank you and it's um it's interesting sort of hearing you talk about that and sort of you know saying that over the years there is more awareness now we've got a lot more I think you talked about this again a lot more language that we can use around having these conversations what do you think someone could do um who's maybe listening who thinks actually maybe I want to become more aware or what can what actions can anyone take to kind of help with that um I, I guess there's a number of things is you know educate yourself find out you know read information um about different conditions um the there are you have to be kind of careful I think where you look for certain information mm. so um generally I would be looking at kind of like uh, the largest sort of national organizations the charities linked to different conditions they generally have really good um websites with information um I think the other thing is actually to talk to people like talk to people about their experiences um I know this the student union have a number of kind of social groups that are linked to um you know students like who identify as neurodiverse or with, with disabilities and things like that um is actually you know respectfully asking can I talk to you about your experiences can I talk to you about what it what it's like um so I, I had a student who um just wanted to understand Tourette's um a bit more and so because there was someone in um who had Tourette's and I'm like well why don't you go and ask them and they were like oh yeah I could do couldn't I I'm like yeah do that so I think it's just kind of I, I guess as a starting point having an open mind educating yourself with with good sources um and talking to people um about their experiences that that would be the, a good starting point no thank you that's really helpful yeah thanks Emma um and I guess for um for students like what what kind of support is available through UEA for neurodiverse students and and kind of the work that you and the rest of the team do Okay, that's another big question. I've got a list here. <laughs> okay, so um, so for let's start with students who may be thinking, oh, okay, some of that stuff sounded familiar to me. I wonder if I have got a specific learning learning difference. So the um, student services have an assessment process. So on our web pages, I don't know if things can be linked from here, but on the um, the wellbeing web pages, there is a um, the starting point of an assess um, an online assessment process. So we will um, there's a form on there. Students fill it in, indicate some of the areas they're finding challenging, reflecting what their experiences are, and then we'll we can do a screening with you to look for indicators of a, a learning difference. Um, and then if we think there are indicators of that, then we can actually um, help um, organise an assessment, which may lead to a diagnosis um so that that process takes place um for students who are going through the process of assessment and also uh, students with a diagnosis of a um, specific learning difference um we have the completely awesome one-to-one -one specialist study skills tutors they're amazing 
Um, so they will work one to one with students to develop study strategies that work for someone's learning style. So it might be that the, the strategies that you were taught at school aren't necessarily working for you in higher education environment, particularly if you've got issues with processing information or, um, you know, reading printed information. So the study skills tutors are brilliant and loads of my students, you know, I, I, I signpost them over there and they come bouncing back afterwards going, oh my God, it's completely changed my life. Um, so they are fantastic. Um, there are the uh, support of the disability advisors um, and the um, mental health advisors within the wellbeing team. Um, so generally, um, the disability advisors will work with students to talk to them about reasonable adjustments, about assessment adjustments that might be extra time, that might in exams, that might be adjustments in your class, something as simple as a student being able to get up and walk around in the back of the room or leave the room might make the, a huge difference in a two hour lecture. If you've got ADHD and you've struggled to sit down for, for two hours straight, just being able to pop out of the room without worrying anyone's going to tell you off can make a massive difference. So we talk to students about reasonable adjustments and assessment adjustments. The mental health team can also support, um, particularly if maybe some of there are mental health concerns that maybe have resulted, you know, come um, as a result of trying to manage studies as a neurodiverse student. So when, you know, stress and overwhelm and things like that. So mental health team are there. Um, we've obviously got the therapies team. Um, so I talk to students, you know, through the, you know, through the assessment process and after they've maybe been diagnosed. And sometimes that brings up a lot of stuff. It brings up a lot of, oh, I want to reflect on what, what, my experiences has been now I know that I have this, you know, diagnosis. Um, so the therapies team can be great at giving some space to talk to somebody about how does that feel? What does this mean for me and my identity? Um, so I'm literally whittling down my list here. What else do we do? Um, we support students to um, access funding. So that might be disabled students allowance funding or um, it might be other sources of funding to pay for things like mentor support. Um, it might be assistive technology. There's loads of cool technology that can support people with their studies. Um, so we can talk to them about that. Um, and we can also link students in with um, sort of, uh, different uh, technologies that are available through the university. So um, one of the things we have um, through, I think, CTEL set this up, the IT um, department as well, um, set up captioning software. So this can be an amazing thing for a student who may struggle to process information from an audio um, or may get distracted um, after a while, um, that actually having captions running along the screen, um, they can read, um, they can read what the lecturer is saying as well as listen. Uh, so captioning is, you know, originally was set up for students with hearing impairments, but actually it can be used for loads and loads of students um, and neurodiverse students. We also have uh, the library set up the RNIB Bookshare Scheme. Um, so that means any student who's classified as print disabled can access resources in a range of formats, so audio format. Um, so, for example, a student who finds um, reading printed text difficult, um, they can get a PDF version on their computer and they can use a screen reader to, and they can listen to information. So it might be a dyslexic student. It might be a student with ADHD who, you know, can only run on a treadmill whilst listening to something to 
because they need to be doing something physically active at the same time. So that's cool. They can, you know, download something onto their phone and listen to it while they're on their treadmill. Um, I've got some students who can then print resources out because they need to listen to something and they need to physically engage in a kinesthetic way. So they might highlight things and write on things at the same time. Um, so yeah, Caption, uh, the RNIB Bookshare scheme, they have been, I think they've been kind of game changing for a lot of students. Um, there are certain pieces of software that we can fund depending. So it might, things like Glean to help students record lectures so they don't have to take lots of notes. Um, that, that's often funded through DSA. So there's loads of there's loads of stuff out there. Um, so we, as a disability advisor, I might meet a student who's just thinking, oh, I think there's something on, you know, something going on. I think I might. I'm really struggling. I think I might have um, a learning difference all the way through to you know, assessment, diagnosis. And then later on, um, we might be looking at pressure points during the year, managing workload, managing well-being, all of that kind of stuff. There's loads of support. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's fantastic to hear that. And I think, you know, even though, you know, me and Rachel have been here, what, seven, eight months now, I think we're still kind of blown away by the level of support that's available because there is so much, but it's really nice to hear that actually in like quite a specific way and relevant for maybe a specific set of students. So thanks mm. so much for sharing that with us. That's, you know, really, really useful. And hopefully there'll be someone listening that thinks, ah, oh, I didn't know about that and, and can come speak to you about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you've also um, kind of touched on this about like if anyone's listening and any of this is sort of resonating and they think maybe they're showing signs of neurodiversity and you mentioned about reaching out for support um, from student services to start that conversation. Is there any other advice um, you would give to someone in that position who's listening? Um, yeah, I mean, talk to some, talk to your friends, talk to, talk to people about how you're feeling. Um, I would say, yeah, again, look for sensible resources. Um, online um seek out support groups you don't need to have a, a diagnosis in order to um benefit from having some you know talking to others in fact that's just reminded me one of the things the support is available that i've completely forgotten about um is the the student union have a number of social groups so there's the um students with disabilities group there's also the um Autism Society that's run by uh, through the Student Union. Um, there is also the peer support group um, for students who, who identify with ASD um, run through uh, student services. Um, so I would say if you don't want to come to speak to student, student services, that's cool. That's fine. Um, there are other ways you can do it. You can go and you know, maybe make contact with some of these um, other groups. You can um, probably kind of tap up some of the national organizations and see what support groups and online support you can you can access um use youtube videos with caution um there are some fantastic um kind of channels um there's a, a particular favorite of mine is called how to adhd um, and there's this woman talking about just how she manages her adhd and she does loads of very well researched videos um, there's also a, a load of guff on YouTube that you don't want to look at, so use with caution. Um, yeah, and I th so I think as well, like um, 
you can go and speak to your, you know, you can go and speak to your doctor um, if you would like to. Also, um, you know, let's not forget that you have the support of your um, the, the staff in your school. Um, if you don't want to come to student services or you don't want to um, maybe speak to someone from the embedded team, you can talk to your personal advisor about how you're feeling, about um, about your studies, about um, what your concerns are, and they can support you and help you work out what your next steps are. Well, thank you. Um, no, that's all been really, um, really, really useful. And it's really nice to have this conversation around neurodiversity, especially for uh, the Neurodiversity Celebration Week. Um, before we sort of finish up, something that we like to do towards the end um, of all of our podcast episodes is um, to ask our guests about uh, a short anecdote when well-being has gone wrong. So a time you have tried something with the intention of it being good for your well-being, um, but it hasn't quite worked out how you intended. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, I think... Um... The example I have, I don't know whether it's about well-being. Is it about well-being, sort of? Um, I think it was when, um, yeah, probably well-being at work. I was like, right, I'm going to, the pandemic's hit. We're now using MS Teams for everything. I feel like I'm in a bit of a pickle trying to work out how I'm going to, you know, use these new processes and strategies and things like that because I'm a, a, a creature of habit. Um, and so I had all good intentions of, right, I'm going to get on top of MS Teams. I'm going to learn how to use it. I'm going to do what everybody else is doing and be able to read the 6,000 different chat feeds all at the same time, because that's what I need to do to be on top of my work. And then that's going to make me feel good about myself. And and it kind of got more and more difficult and I felt more and more overwhelmed. And I was like, this isn't actually supporting my well-being or my efficiency at work at all because I'm I'm really trying to do something that my brain doesn't really naturally do um and and I thought right what would I tell my students what would I say to my students I would I would say right how you know you've got to how does my brain work what is my strength what is my preferences and the way that I like to work and what strategy can I put in place and I realised the strategy was to say, I ain't going to do it. So I spoke to my manager and I said, you know what? MS Teams is great. It's great, isn't it? I can contact people immediately and I don't have to wait for, for, for an email. But it's not great because there is so much information coming at me all the time. I cannot process all of the different chat feeds and read it all. So I'm not going to. And I'm going to... Um, I'm going to read this chat feed, this one and this one. I'm going to read three and the rest I'm going to completely ignore. And, uh, and as a reasonable adjustment, I, I, sure, um, I suppose that will be acceptable. And of course it was. So my original intention um, was to try really hard to get better at managing a system that in the end didn't suit my learning style and my way of working. And so in an attempt to be more efficient and to improve my well-being, I actually made it worse. And it was when I realised I don't have to do it in the neurotypical way. I don't have to be able to look at all this stuff and read all this stuff and process this stuff. Is that the key part of my job? No, it's chatting to people all day. Just as long as I'm good at chatting to people all day, that's the main thing. So I set a healthy boundary and I just have decided I'm not going to look at some stuff. So, yeah. That's great. And um, um, what would you say your lesson learned is from that experience then? 
that it's okay to not do some stuff. It's okay. <laughs> and, you know, and it's it's okay to go, yeah, that's, that's something I'm not that good at. I'm not that good at reading all that stuff really quickly all at the same time. That's okay. Because I'm really good at all this other stuff. So yeah, it's kind of that acceptance, isn't it, of being like yeah. different doesn't always mean worse. Sometimes it is just different and that's OK. Yeah. And also acknowledging it. Yeah, it's OK. Um, and also not pretending that it isn't happening like I have. Oh, yes. No, I am reading it all. And yes, it's all fine. No, it isn't. I'm not good at that. That's fine. That's cool. Um, yeah. So kind of acknowledging it. But then it, it's it's all right to have certain areas that you find more difficult. And it's OK to set some boundaries about what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. So, yeah. Cool. No, thanks for sharing. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Emma. A nice little lesson to finish on, I think. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Emma. I found that absolutely fascinating listening. Um, listening to this conversation so thank you so much um and thank you everyone for listening do also remember to check out our youtube channel where we will be continuing to post new videos each week um, we'll also be posting most days on facebook twitter and instagram um, with links to support available as well as what workshops and events are going on around uea and some well-being tips and ideas too so please give us a follow on social media and of course, most importantly, remember, as always, if you need support, you do not need to manage alone and the student services team are here to support you. And we will drop some links for further support, like you mentioned, Emma, in the description of this episode. Um, so thanks so much. Um, Rach, thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you as well. And uh, thank Emma, thanks for joining us. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.